calling shuttle pod three. You're cleared for departure. Safe travels. Hello and welcome back to everyone's favourite Type 9 shuttle. Today I am here with Alex and George and we're out looking for Commander Kim's third pip, which he lost on a recent away mission. Oh no. While we're on the topic of promotions and Commander Kim, we got to thinking about hopes and dreams and what we would like to see of Star Trek in the next five years. And we've had so much recently that there's a lot to build off of and I guess there's a lot of optimism about <laughs> at the moment and so let's get some optimistic chats going and think the year is 2026 what has Star Trek given us since we were in the here and now? Well, in the latest episode of Discovery, I don't remember the name. Um, it was episode three, I believe. Tilly kind of expresses her desire to actually shift gears a little bit and uh, mm -hmm. consider teaching at Starfleet Academy. And I, I saw some speculation that this might be a way for uh, Paramount to kind of start pivoting towards that Star Trek Academy series. Mm. And that would be really interesting. Mm -hmm. I was hoping that if that occurred, if that series actually happened, it would be in a <clears throat> not the 32nd century. But if it happens with Tilly, I think it would be the 32nd century. I'll take it no matter what. Mm. I'm going to watch it. That sounds really cool. So I'd love to see that, even if it's not necessarily ship centric. I'd love that as well. I mean, <laughs> I, I feel like the 32nd century is actually an ideal place for the Academy show to take place because they've already got a visual aesthetic mapped out of what Starfleet HQ mm -hmm. looks like so they can just build on that for the potential show and also we've seen a lot of 24th century Starfleet Academy and we've even seen bits of the 23rd century Starfleet Academy as well mm -hmm. so it'd be a real chance for the show to kind of make its own thing in the Star Trek universe without being too confined by having to have that generic uh, <laughs> San Francisco shot that was always used every time we went to Starfleet Academy <laughs> Academy in the Berman era. Well, I guess you, you run into the question, what's more expensive, shooting on location in San Francisco or shooting uh, in front of a massive green screen in the crazy Hogwarts-esque moving stairs wonderland that is Starfleet HQ? <laughs> well, they've got the big, like, projector screen thing now, like they have... Oh, Mandalorian styles. It's like a 180 degrees. Mm, that's true. I don't know, I, I remember seeing pictures of the film set in Toronto and they actually call it the holodeck. It's like six mm. giant curved Aww. screens and the... So they can just have the CG background behind the actors. It's not a green screen. So clever. I know. <laughs> After the past couple of decades as well, that must be such a relief for actors. <laughs> like, you've had to act versus tennis balls on a stick. You've had to <laughs> act in literally a cube of green. And now technology has progressed to the stage where you can actually see where you are, even if you're not actually there. And that must just help so much with getting into I character. I know, sad Hayden Christensen noises. <laughs> um, but in terms of five years down the line, like, I think you're right, Alex. I think they're going to try and shift gear into having more sort of diversified kinds of shows under their belt. I mean, Prodigy is a very different kettle of fish oh, yeah. to Picard. Mm. And I think, they've, I think they're just trying intensely to learn from not the mistakes of the past, but the learnings of the past in that, you know, they had Deep Space Nine, Voyager and TNG running all very, very uh, close together. And they were all, you know, they could all tell very individual kinds of stories, but it kind of often wound up being a similar kind of thing yeah. with a similar kind of energy. And so I think having some more sort of 
quote-unquote domestic uh, content coming from <laughs> Star Trek might be a really good shout. And it'll also let things that are more honest-to-goodness alien of the week, planet of the week, like Strange New Worlds, for instance, yes. it'll let them shine a lot more and feel a lot more special, I reckon. Yeah, I must say that it's one of the things that I'm really enjoying about this era of Star Trek. It's that every show feels distinctly different mm. in pretty much every single way. The two closest shows that we have right now are Discovery and Picard, and even they are wildly yes. different. When you kind of look back at the 90s and you could stick on an episode of TNG, DS9, and Voyager, or Enterprise, and mm. you would know roughly how the episodes are going to progress. You'd know roughly, well, you'd know by the end of the episode, unless you're in season six or seven of DS9 or three or four of Enterprise, that it's going to all be resolved. <laughs> Even in those more serialized seasons, there's still a good chance it's going to be resolved right mm-hmm. at the end as well. And um, that's fine. So yeah, it's been really good to have that variety. I'd definitely say one of my hopes, and this is very thematic for this podcast, that is that we get a lot more ship content in the next yes. five years. Um, <laughs> uh, Discovery, especially in the first season, was very light on the mm-hmm. ship content. Well, they got it all out in the first episode, first few episodes, and then, then they, they, they stabbed us in the back with dialogue and stories. Well, well, it's the thing that they did go all out in that episode, but we didn't really get much ship content from the amount of stuff yeah. there. Like If you think back to the Dominion War battle oh. scenes, mm-hmm. you can very clearly see the various classes of ship interacting, being fired upon, getting destroyed. The ships were like centric to that story that they were telling whereas Battle at the Binary Stars mm. they were trying to focus mostly on what was uh, the Shenzhou doing yeah yeah, that's true and as a result we didn't get too much fun ship manoeuvring and going here there and everywhere except for when the cleave ship showed yeah. up I think they're also intensely trying to not alienate new uh, I was going to say customers new viewers <laughs> you filthy capitalist <laughs> uh, by having too much talk of fleet movements and ship numbers and ship classes and this that and the other like mm. they never had a huge amount of that before but they know that that's a, a thing that a huge amount of their fan base wants but it's also the kind of the most yeah. alienating kind of star trek because it requires you to be really already plugged into the world so focusing on michael burnham using the binary stars as a backdrop that makes sense but yeah i, I think in the future I, I mean like we've been saying hopefully if we've got you know star trek for kids Star Trek for, mm-hmm. for adults who like dialogue and clever things. Maybe there's going to be a Star Trek <laughs> for people who like, like ships. vast sums of CGI and ships and this, that, and the other. It's fan, fan service Star Trek. Maybe there'll be a special special series made just for us any any day now. Come on, CVS. Well, in the uh, Litverse, they did do a like Starfleet Corps of Engineers series. So maybe we'd end up getting something like that mm. where we follow a team as they go around different ships to repair That'd them. That'd be so and, cool. Uh, get them out of sticky situations. I'd love that so much. Oh my god. They could even tie it in with the Academy series and kind of have it as a progression of that. So they spend their three years in the Academy and then they go off into this engineering core role. And now I'm seeing a way that they could tie that into Lower Decks. Oh yeah. And I'd love a Lower Decks version of this. There you go. (laughs) Because I do like uh, (laughs) having that kind of comedic version of Star Trek that we get with Lower Decks. So I'd love a comedic Mm. like Lower Decks core of engineers <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely like that idea although you'd have to be careful with it that you know 
you had Mariner, Boimler, Rutherford and Tendi types as opposed to Barclay mm-hmm. types. Because mm-hmm. otherwise your engineering missions could go horribly, yes. horribly wrong. Have we, got, have we got anything Star Trek Online related for the next five years? That would be really cool. I would love to see a series that incorporates like uh, Star Trek Online's 25th century ships. But I think the way that the IPs yes. are, I think it might be a little fishy because CBS considers Star Trek Online as beta canon. It's not necessarily their mm. canon, which I think is wrong and I disagree, but what do I know? <laughs> they're dipping their well, toesy woesies in the water though, aren't they, with the Luna class and whatnot. Yes. You know, they're kinda kind of looking at yeah. it with a with a side eye from across the bar. I like this. And as well in the Star Trek Picard prequel yeah. novel, they had Picard take command of the Verity, which was a Odyssey class, yes. if I recall. I would well, and they also had the Romulan ship, the Fate, square off with the Verity. If I'm remembering correctly, I didn't actually get to read the comics yet, but that was really neat too because it was a Star Trek Online exclusive ship that wasn't a Federation ship. So it's like they found a unicorn. <laughs> well, I definitely agree that we want to see more 25th century and Star Trek Online content make its way into the Prime timeline. But my panel here is beeping because we have just found Commander Kim's pip and we need to get it back to him. So that's it for today. Please make sure to drop us a line at hello at shiptalkingpod.com or on our socials at shiptalkingpod on Twitter and the same on Instagram as well. Thank you very much for listening and live long and prosper. See you guys. Farthy well, dear listener.